Support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from our friends at Bold Apps. Now, I'd love any app that helps store owners make more money. Bold Apps Quantity Breaks is just one of those apps. So if you sell any item that customers sometimes buy more than one of, you really should be incentivizing them to do so. Bold Apps Quantity Breaks lets you add tiered pricing or bulk pricing easily to your products. It's got a little built-in widgets that even let customers see the savings right on the product and in the cart. If you want to try Quantity Breaks out for free for two months, just go to ecommerce-bootcamp.com bold to get started today. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines. And it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, broadcasting still from EtherCycle headquarters. And at the time of this recording, I am very excited to announce a few things. Uh, the show is closing in on 300,000 downloads. Feels like only, um, I think in, you know, in the spring, I was saying, hey, help us get to a quarter million. And oh my gosh, it is hockey sticking. Um, so thank you. Thank you guys so much. Clearly, you're, uh, you're promoting it. You're mentioning it to, to friends. Um, leaving us reviews on iTunes. It is so helpful. Um, you know, yeah, we get paid for this in the sense that it's a sponsor. It's a sponsored show now, which I'm very proud of. I'm proud to have our sponsors, but, but it is also, it's a labor of love and I, I greatly enjoy it. And thank you for, for making it possible. Okay. So we're still, we're still going on our, our Black Friday preparation run here. And leading up to Black Friday, we want to have, uh, we want to have a, a calendar of sorts in place. We want to have a great buyer persona. But if you're, well, you know, if you're, if you're selling something, we'll say traditional, you're selling consumer electronics, something like that. Well, it's very easy to go, oh, okay, well, we're going to have some kind of sale, right? For Black Friday. But maybe you're in, your brand has a less obvious value. It is more intrinsic. Maybe you're in the fashion, beauty, and lifestyle space. And that's where I have to admit, that's one of the spaces I'm really bad at in e-commerce. And not really bad at, I just feel like I, in those projects, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I can't clearly communicate brand value proposition. It's, it's tough for me. Um, so I'm bad at it. <laughs> and I, I'm going to bring a, a guest on today on the show to help educate me, to help me be less dumb. Often on the show, I try to, I, I try to play uh, I try to feign ignorance so that we can all kind of learn along together. And I feel the best episodes are the ones where I really am ignorant on the topic. Um, and the guest is genuinely educating me. Today is one of those days because I admit it. I'm bad at fashion and beauty. I often wear a ridiculously printed camo jacket to conferences. Actually, always I do uh, a bit of peacocking. And I had, <laughs> and it's so people can recognize me easily, but I had, uh, uh, Shopify Unite back in April, I had someone come up to me and said, Hey, you're Kurt. I said, yeah, and in fact, I am. And she said, well, I was, I was told to look for a man in a camo jacket. And uh, she introduced herself, said she was into fashion, and then negged me a bit for looking ridiculous, which I absolutely agree with. But joining me today is Jacqueline Deans, who is the founder and principal e-commerce consultant at Flash & Color. And the reason that's important is Flash & Color helps fashion, beauty, lifestyle brands 
establish, and expand their businesses online. She's got 15 years of e-commerce and digital marketing experience. That's actually, that's a little more than me, I hate to admit. Um, and she advises brands on how to exponentially increase sales, boost engagement, and create loyal customers. And she's got a, a really cool, um, really cool free lead magnet special offer type deal for us at the end that, uh, it's a sample, um, uh, a document and a worksheet. I love that stuff. And she is going to walk us through and help educate me on how to market your fashion, beauty, lifestyle, e-commerce business going into Black Friday. It's a little long-winded intro as far as my intros go, but Jacqueline, thank you for joining us. It is my honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Kurt. <laughs> I'm certainly, I'm excited. I, we talked uh, before the show. You're excited. I'm happy to have you. Um, let's dive. Well, let's start simple. So I see it as uh, like fashion, beauty, lifestyle, apparel. And my big issue is I struggle with those. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage with those brands because they don't solve a painter problem. And I do have, I have two um, fashion, beauty, lifestyle brands. And I don't even know if those fit into fashion, beauty, or lifestyle, but one is they both solve clear panes or problems. One's the bra lab, which it's a bra that clasps on the sides so that you can wear black backless stuff without having an ugly clasp. I'm like, okay, I get it. That's an obvious mm -hmm. painter problem that is solved there. So we did, we did a cool site. It's the brawlab.com. <laughs> and then another one, um, uh, Vivian Lou, which is like an insole. And apparently I'm not familiar, but I see it seems obvious. High heels can be really uncomfortable wear all day. And they have Absolutely. an insole. <laughs> they they <laughs> make this say. very this very popular insole um, that helps helps make them more comfortable. So like in those in the second one, that's solving a literal pain, right? And the first mm -hmm. one solves like an obvious I could see it with my eyes problem. Um, but outside of that, man, I avoid these because they're tough. What is so tough about marketing fashion and beauty? What is this thing I'm butting up against? I think the issue is that you're looking at it at, from a perspective of this has to solve a, a, what you would probably say a real problem, um, a pain, your foot pain, or it's a very practical problem that you're trying to solve. Fashion, beauty, and lifestyle is more subjective because there's art involved. Um, a lot of times it breaks, it boils down to who is your target market and what are their buying motivations, right? What is your buyer's persona's buying motivations? And it's something more you're you understanding your buying motivation of your client. So it's not necessarily that it's, oh, I have to solve this foot pain, but if for clothing, let's just say, is it, will it make me look good? Does this color fit me? Um, does, does the, is this going to lay right on my body? So I look good and I feel good. And I'm, you know, I'm getting compliments when I go out. Um, is it going to help me express my style? When you're, when you're talking about fashion, that's really what you're trying to get at. And understanding that as the buying motivation, then you can solve those problems with something unique, offering some, some clothing that um, is unique or jewelry that's unique or not even unique, but, but fits um, who you're trying to target. That actually, that, that helps a lot. Um, helps me wrap my head around it. Um, mm -hmm. I still... I hope I still don't feel quite confident where I'm like, yeah, let's dive into that because I think it is such a even more nuanced um, and tough, tough industry or niche um, than most. And when you said like, oh man, it's, it's part art, that makes a lot of sense. It makes it very personal. And that's why it's so hard. You have to understand the, you're, it's interesting. You said you have to understand the person's motivations. Um, I recently read, I think it was in Russell Bronson's book. I think it was in Expert Secrets. Uh, he made the point that every purchase people make and almost every decision they make can often be boiled down to does, whether they think about it in these terms or not, it is, does this increase my status or not? Yes. Does it increase my, per, my perception? And like status is like a very broad way of saying, you know, in this case, does it increase my, my self-confidence? Does it increase my perception of how good I look? And that's the thing, um, that fashion, beauty, apparel, lifestyle Absolutely. are solving. Okay. So that helps. Um, and then my other question, you had said, you know, your, your positioning state, in your positioning statement, you say that you help fashion, beauty, lifestyle brands. I don't even know the difference between those three. Walk me through that. <laughs> so fashion, um, is, you know, clothing, apparel, accessories, jewelry, um, things that, that would be fashion. Beauty would be color cosmetics, um, skincare products. Um, let's see, um, 
yeah, that's pretty much it. Soaps, beauty products, okay. basically. Lifestyle would be home decor, furniture, things that you would find in a crate and barrel or a... Red a lot. Give me, um, to make it easy, give me an example of each. Fashion, beauty, lifestyle. Give me the brand that comes to mind for each one. For fashion, I would think Zara. Okay. Um, just a clothing brand. That, yeah. that would be fashion. Uh, beauty would be Anastasia Brow Studio, where, you know, if they're, they're selling kits to make your brows look good, your eyebrows, literally there's a whole, there's, there's a whole movement around having the perfect brow. So that's, that would be, I know. <laughs> no, well, I often have not in the industry. Like you're, you're just looking at this like really, but, but I, I have these very arched eyebrows and I often have people go, Kurt, do you pluck your eyebrows? Yeah, exactly. you know, uh, actually, I just, sh I shave my unibrow. If that's what you mean, They're like, no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Well, you're lucky to have perfect arches, but that's 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 the look that we're going for. Um, sometimes they call them Instagram eyebrows because people take time, 20 minutes, 30 minutes per day just to do their eyebrows. There, there are actually products for that. That solves a problem. Um, so that would be an example of a beauty brand. Okay. Uh, a, lifestyle, a lifestyle business would be anything that you'd find on Wayfair. Ah. Couches, vases. You know, um, and I, I did just furnish most of most of my living room with All Modern, which is a Wayfair brand. So I did exactly, which is yeah. a Wayfair brand, exactly. And you're, uh, it, it was like it was like all of that. Yeah, it was important and subjective. And the thing that they had that I liked was we had a, a friend who's an interior decorator go, listen, everybody buys furniture that's the wrong size. I'm going to tell you what, like, here's the layout of furniture to get, and here's the pieces, like, here's the size of them. And then Wayfair is cool; they let you pick pick the max size of your furniture. Exactly. And then I knew, and they broke them down since it's subjective. Wayfair has several brands and they kind of break them down by taste. Well, all mm -hmm. modern is the one that's very like, it's, you know, it's modern furniture starting in, you know, starting around 1940, like replicas of this stuff. And it was cool and it worked. Um, and to me, it's like, Oh wow. I, you know, my living room is arranged nicely and I've got the furniture looks right. And I spent, spent the thousand bucks at Wayfair because, Oh, I perceive that as increasing my status. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing about fashion, beauty, and lifestyle. It does solve a problem. The problem is how do I increase my status? How do I um, go out into the world looking good, feeling good? And that's what you solve. Once you have that down, once you understand the buying motivations or, or, and, and there'll be other buying motivations as well and buying concerns that you have to address. Buying motivations like standing out, getting compliments to be trendy um, those are some of the buying motivations to look good, to feel good. Some of okay. the buying concerns are, does this look good on me? Does, will I get compliments and likes? Does it match my style? So once you address those things, you can, you can sell pretty well. All right. That brings us to our next point. So I'm, I'm getting my head wrapped around this. I feel more calm, feeling even more confident now, uh, <laughs> Good, <laughs> but um, you brought up some issue points. You said, well, you have to understand buying motivations and you have to understand um, something that you said something else, but it was akin to like pains or frustrations, something to that effect. So it's starting to sound like we, even though these we're not sol we're solving these more intrinsic ego centric problems. We're still yeah. we have to have a clear understanding of our buyers. That brings us to buyer personas, which I understand you specialize in. Yes. Tell me, <laughs> for, tell me uh, First, what is a buyer persona? What do we mean by that? Your buyer persona is basically an identity of the, the ideal person that you want to sell to. The person who's most likely to purchase your products, the person who's most likely to share your products through word of mouth, and that you can solve their problem best. So that is, and, and you create an identity around that person. That's their name, their age, demographics, um, psychographics, geographic locations that they live in. Uh, what their lifestyle is and you do even what devices that they use and you do a thorough assessment of this person. And if you can't visualize this person, whenever you're done, like have a picture, a clear picture in your head of who this person is. I um, love the way you led with your, I love the way you led with your definition of that is, Hey, who we need to have a clear picture of who is the person who's most likely to buy and who's the person who's most likely to share this stuff and be, you know, uh, give us that, that wonderful word of mouth marketing. Mm -hmm. um, man, leading with that description, suddenly, like, who wouldn't want a buyer persona? And I've <laughs> seen the value and preach the value of uh, just, like, customer surveys, customer research, which is 
the buyer persona is the deliverable that comes out of that. Um, and yet I don't, don't see a lot of, uh, my clients like particularly interested. Certainly no one has come approach us to say, Hey, do a cus, do buyer persona, do customer research for us. Um, which I've always has always hurt my feelings a little bit in that I just see <laughs> like how tremendously valuable it is. Um, so, the, but the way you described it kind of, well, you led with the, the end benefit there, which was smart. Um, okay. So when we construct buyer personas and we've talked, I'm, I know we've touched on the show in the past, two ways to do it is a talk to people. Maybe that's customer. Um, it's surveying them, um, to figure out. And in the context of the stuff we do, it's like, well, how do you see yourself? Who would you recommend this to? Um, like what kind of person would you recommend this to that goes, all right, now we know how they see themselves. And we'll say, and why would you recommend it to them? What benefit would they get? And then they tell you why they bought. It's like a when you put it in the third person, it's easier to answer in a genuine way. Whereas if you answer, like ask directly, they're kind of like, eh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so a little bit of rabbit hole there. But just like a two-question survey tells us so much about people. Um, and then the, the other thing we'll do, and this is easier, of course, is let's just export all your buyers, maybe even your best buyers if you've got a lot of customer data. Um, so the people have made repeat purchases or spent over a certain amount, put those into Facebook, um, mm-hmm. as a custom audience, load it up in audience insights tool. And then all of a sudden this thing dumps a whole bunch of demographic, uh, data back at me where it's like age, gender, their income, whether they own a house or not, where they, I mean, all exactly. this really cool stuff where you can paint a clear, um, qualitative picture or quantitative, um, picture of someone, which I think is cool. Um, that's how I have been like taking, you know, taking one or both of those things and then trying to draw a picture of what that person looks like. That's how I think of buyer personas. Mm-hmm. Um, am I on track with that? You are, but there are additional methods. Okay. So, um, typically what I do first, let me just say that this is the most important thing that you can do for your business is do the buyer persona. Um, the reason why I say that is because everything that you do comes from that and you're going to miss the mark and waste marketing dollars. If you don't understand your buyer, if you, it it affects the photography that you're going to do, it affects the copy that you're going to write and what, what this person is looking for in that copy to make a purchase decision. It's going to affect, even if you're going to do, especially in fashion, beauty, lifestyle, we do pop-ups, trunk shows, even the locations that you're going to do those and how successful they'll be. Um, and as you know, clearly we both love Shopify. You can do pop-ups and, and shows because you know, you have the card reader and it pulls from your own inventory and it makes the process smooth. So that's something that you have to think about. If you don't understand your customer and you don't have a buyer persona, you are going to be wasting marketing dollars and you're going to um, always miss the mark and lower your conversion rates when those people come to the site. So that's the importance of it. The second thing is... Well, you asked, oh, let me stop you there a little bit. Okay. Because there's a ton of stuff in there to unpack. Yes. Um, <laughs> but using... I, I agree with all that, and it's going deeper and preventing a, presenting a really compelling use case there where it's like, I love the trunk show example. Um, for mm. So when you think about... I think when people think about fashion and apparel, like they make it... I know I was, this, this is probably what I was doing, is you make it too basic in that it's hard to figure out who this person is. Or it's like, well, we sell t-shirts. Okay, fine. Like, if it goes on my body and it fits, I can wear it, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, <laughs> um, but That's like. so practical. Yeah. <laughs> right? Such a practical approach to, to fashion, but okay. Yes. All right, so. That's like, that's how I was seeing it. And that's so like, yeah, there's some people like that, but it's way off the mark when, you know, if I'm thinking about Target, it's like, well, they sell a whole bunch of t-shirts. Like I'm thinking about it so broad. I need to think about it on more of a, um, like a micro level. Um, and the example I'll use is my wife's wedding dress. I don't know what it costs. I don't want to know what it costs. It's the only <laughs> thing about her wedding. I don't know the cost. God, no one tell me. Um, but so she had this like custom couture dress. You know what? I will link to it in the show notes. And like the way she found it was she had to, she found uh, a dressmaker. Um, so clear, like how many clients can this dressmaker really have? The dressmaker clearly got in front of her um, and the, at a trunk show. And then she was able mm-hmm. to go to like another trunk show. And this woman was not in our state. So clearly there is like, she had an idea of where her best buyer might be and how to get to them. Um, and it worked. And then she ended up, you know, my wife ended up buying this um, one time use very expensive dress. Right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you, put it down to that scale. Oh, okay. That, you know, it suddenly seems so much more 
um, not just like important and beneficial, but de- detrimental to the success of a, a fashion business. Absolutely. And I know I, wedding is like its own special animal within that. It is. But understanding your customer is the, the, the baseline for the foundation of any business. I mean, the best companies, the companies that r- rapidly grow, they deeply understand their customers. Even like a Sephora has like 12 buyer personas. Hmm. And anthropology has like, they have a, a, a main buyer persona, but they understand their customer, even whether that's anthropology or urban outfitters, because they're all under the same company. They, urban outfitters has a specific customer. Anthropology has a specific customer, but they know them really well. It affects even the naming of, of, if you go on anthropology, the way they name things is based on their buyer persona of someone who travels, someone who is even a little bit more bohemian, but has um, a high income and the locations where they even put the stores. There's a lot that goes into this to really understand your customer so you can grow your business. So some of the methods that I use besides, you know, taking all those emails, putting them into Facebook and then having the spit out data. And of course, what you said was amazing. Using your best customers. You don't want to use everybody who you could have been doing a giveaway and these people came in here right. to, to your store. You want to take the people who have proven that they're really great customers and they're really loyal to the brand. The and VIP customers. The VIP customers and how you're going to how you're going to, to market to them and find the people who are like them. So that's a good method. The other method that I use, and I typically do very in-depth research. I use Mintel reports. I use Ibis World. I use eMarketer. I use First Research. What and these are very. I, do, I don't know what any of those things are. Those, oh, what, okay. Those are a bunch of words. <laughs> I just a bunch of words. Let me slow it down. Um, Mintel is a large um, market research company. All of these are market research companies, and they sell uh, market research reports that are extremely expensive. <laughs> but 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 worth it. Um, now the there is a way around this because they can cost several thousands of dollars. How I get access to these reports, and this is this is my secret of doing some of the research. I and I'm nervous about putting it out there, but I feel like people need to know this. Um, that's a, one of the best ways, and that's what, what some of the larger companies use to to get their market research studies. What they what what I do to get them for free is a lot of times your business libraries and your college libraries will have free access to Mintel reports, Ibis world reports, eMarketer and first research. Um, Mintel is always one of my, they're, they're one of my favorite market research firms, but they will tell you where your industry is going, whether that's beauty, men's, men's, men's skincare, um, you know, fashion, whatever it is, they'll talk about the growth in the industry or, or decline. Um, and they'll have a lot of data on where, um, your customers are and, and who the customers are and if it's shifting and changing. So I, I'm trying to, all right. Um, so let me give an example here. Cause it's such a, like, it's a really broad category. So let's say I, um, I'm going to be creating, I say, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to create, make the next great line of women's jeans. And the danger there is like even denim manufacturers are suffering now because so many women just wear leggings all the time. So is there like, where would I even, if that was what I wanted to do and I didn't know about the denim thing, um, where would I go to start learning any of that? You're doing online research. You can check some of these reports, like the Ibis world Mintel reports, all of that. And they will tell you where the industry is going with that. They'll tell you about the increase in athleisure, like the, 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 the increase in the purchases of athleisure products and how denim is declining. Um, but there are ways around this. This doesn't, just because denim is declining doesn't mean there aren't opportunities in denim. How, how are you setting yourself apart in the denim industry? And that gets to the marketing calendar. And we'll talk about that a bit more further in the conversation, but are you lining up with the editorial calendars of major publications? Because July typically is denim month where they feature denim in July, August, sometime around the summer. 
they feature um, InStyle magazine and a lot of magazines, their editorial calendars line up to feature denim. So if you're part of that conversation, that then you could showcase your item during certain times of the year or build a campaign around you know, people who love denim, finding influencers who love denim. So there are ways around it once you understand the buying motivations um, and once you understand the customer and who you're targeting. Because there's still subsets of, of people who still love denim. So I could fi- so I could figure out the industry and make educated uh make some some educated guesses or assumptions about my buyer first based on this this very broad macro industry data. And then how do I could figure out demographics of my customers if I have customer data that, that I can run through, like Facebook audience insights. I could survey my customers. What kind of questions are you asking of customers? Um, you're, when I ask customers questions, when I do customer service and, and typically I do more of the data side, but when we ask customers, um, I don't generally, it's weird because I don't ask as much. I, I stalk a little bit. (laughs) I I put it that way. And even, and, and one thing I also want to touch on, it's not just that this, it's the industry data is very macro. When you get into the Mintel reports, they are they they can be very very specific. How do you they can be how do you spell it? Uh, Mentel report. Mentel is um, M I N T E L. T E L reports. Okay, because they can be very specific about just even men's men's skincare and then the rise in men's men's use of anti aging products. Hmm. It can be that specific. So these, and that's why the reports are several thousands of dollars because they've already done the work. Um, but here's where I stalk. I, if I have the names of my customers, I will go and Google them. I'll check if they have an Instagram page. I'll look at them and see what their style is, what they're wearing, um, and aggregate that. And it's work. It is. I mean, if you have several customers, several thousands of customers, you're, or hundreds of customers, Someone has to be tasked with this, but it gives me a better idea, especially with fashion, beauty, lifestyle, what they're wearing, how they're wearing it, what pieces are they putting together? And that's how you generally stalk your, your customers. Instead of stalk, (laughs) let's say we go on, (laughs) we go on customer safari. So when we're on, when we're on uh, Jackwood's customer safari and we're running through, um, our customers, Instagram pages to get a feel of how they're, how they're presenting themselves to the world. Uh, I love that idea, and I see where that would absolutely be time-consuming. And like Instagram is such a gazing pool. I mean, you could just lose—you could easily lose an entire afternoon to just screwing around, going down down this rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. Um, and that there's a reason why I deleted Instagram off my phone about two years <laughs> ago. Um, but how do you? What I want to know is how do you? Uh, you say you aggregate that data. I don't even know how I would report on that or write it down. Like, it's, what are you looking for, and then what are you recording? You're taking screenshots. You're oh, taking okay. screenshots of how they, they, because you're going in there with a focus. I mean, if you're on Instagram looking through pictures of your friends, that's, that's going, you're going to go down the rabbit hole. But if you go on there with a clear focus, you're, you're saying, I need to understand my customer. I need to, especially something as subjective as fashion. And I'll just specifically talk about fashion right now. I need to know not only who they're following, how they're styling their, their clothing, what, what pieces are they wearing? What brands are, are they also wearing that typically come up? Right. And then taking that to create a full picture of, of, of my, my client and you'll start to see trends or of my customers and you'll start to see trends in what they're wearing and thinking about how you can fit in and how you can align yourself with the brands that they most love. So it's, it's from, again, that, that design perspective that isn't as, it's not as easily, it's, it's not just something that, that you can just put in a, a data form. Like it's, it's very subjective. I mean, right. you have to have a good eye for, I mean, you have to know, reasons, yeah, I, I would yeah, struggle at doing this. You, you, you exactly. have to know what you're looking at and looking for. for exactly. And this entire thing uh, is very much like an onion. So you have to get past you're looking for like you're looking for tr- patterns in mm-hmm. in people's Instagram posts <laughs> and like and not and not just that speaks not just, to what they like. 
Absolutely. I think it's also when you start to see style, there's so many different types of style. And when you start to see that, you'll start to see that there are certain companies that come up with each style. There are certain looks that come up with each style. And there are certain people that your customers are following in order to, there's certain blogs that they're going to. Influencers. Influencers, exactly, that they're going to. And that's when you can, you can say, this is who I'm going to align myself okay. with. And this is what they like to see. And that's where the, and, and you shouldn't feel bad <laughs> about, about not knowing. This is what makes fashion so difficult because it's, it's not. starting it's, to become clear. <laughs> it's not as practical as other industries. It's not right. like, you know, you're selling electronics. Okay. The camera, you, you run down a list of stats for the camera, um, you know, meg megapixels and and whatever else this is you put on this lens and this is what it does and you get this effect that's very that's very tangible and practical whereas trying to define the value of having one's eyebrows on fleek is extremely difficult. <laughs> it's, a, it's a totally different thing and what is the motivation behind that the motivation behind that is you have to look good you have to impress your your friends you you want to show that you you um, take pride in yourself and your beauty. You may even go to conferences like BeautyCon. There hmm. is a BeautyCon um, to learn what these what what are the new eyebrow trends. That and that you're ahead of the game. Crazy. That's something that you can't. That's not a practical thing. So do you have a um, do you have an example of what um, you know like what you might learn going through uh, these Instagram photos, and then more importantly, how like what might be something actionable that would come out of that? Sure. Um, what I would look at is style. And let me just give you some, some examples of style. So it makes it a little bit easier. Um, if you have, if you're, if you have a co more corporate style, not that you would have this it, it, as much on Instagram, you have a more corporate style style or a more casual style or a bo more bohemian style, right? those you're you're targeting those people differently so if you're looking for someone who or someone who is into to athleisure then you know who to target then you know that oh these people are th these are the people who have um or this is a look that this group of people likes let me see who else they're following um and because this is something with fashion and beauty this is something that people if you ask in a survey you may not get to the right answer it's something that you have to learn by, you can ask the questions. I'm not against surveys, but sometimes the no, survey data. I'm starting to get how difficult it would be to try yeah. and get people to, someone who's especially not used to describing like, this is the style and what I like. Exactly. I mean, many in this, yeah. like with things subjective as this, people will say, you know, well, it's like porn. I'll know it when I see it. Um, <laughs> right? Yes. It's my observation, if you will. But yeah, you have to observe them. You have to observe how they move and what in their their natural habitat, as opposed to um, like if I go down to Soho, I'm in New York. If I go down to Soho and I walk up to some fashionable trendsetter, and why did you pick this top out? They'll say it's because it's cool. Yeah, but oh yeah, then, I, then, you yeah, you get in the straight like why is it cool? What ha like there's so exactly. many things that led to that, this and they may not have the vocabulary to to tell you, right? So you can't necessarily base it off of what they tell you. But you can say you can see that I noticed that Topshop is putting out a lot of these um, spaghetti crop tops. I'm noticing that everyone is wearing them. Who's the person that started this trend? Or can I go back into people's Instagram or can I look at someone's Instagram and see how much they're wearing this? Across when, you identify a a, when you identify a trend, are you able to tell? Can you go back and figure out like, man, this is this is this is the woman on Instagram who is responsible for this, or this is like the TV show, or this is the, the, the brand that we could blame for what, like X trend, <laughs> like so, suddenly boat necks come back and we like, are there ever situations where, you know, like literally this is, it was like Jennifer Lawrence's appearance on whatever show now boat necks are big. People who, who do this for a living, who, who are, do market research. Yes, they can. They can get as close to that as possible. They can tell when a style exploded and, and who were the, the few people or the group of people who, who came up with that or who made it very 
public and then you start to see um, the trend coming out after. But also this stuff is planned in advance. When you see everything, you, what seems to just pop up, these products were already made a year in advance. The, the, the fashion cycle, you know, Pantone picks colors a year, like a year in advance. They'll tell you what the, the color is going to be for the next spring. You there know, are fashion I've seen shows. those every year. I have always wondered, does it, does Pantone really have um, that kind of influence? Oh my God. <laughs> yes. They, I mean, not everyone may not be wearing radiant orchid, but yes, the, the colors, the colors, they pick a series of colors. It's not just the one you always hear about the one major color for the year, but they, they usually tell you what colors will go with that. And you will see it on the runway and then a couple and for, you know, when the year comes out, you will see those colors in the stores and you will see certain cuts in the stores. Um, so this is all, a lot of this is planned in advance. It's not something that just happens, um, that just explodes. And they think, are pushing it I think through that, channels. This, uh, you've brought up a couple times, well, you mentioned you know, the importance of like aligning yourself with editorial calendars and that this is planned in advance. How important is it? Or it, well, I don't even know the question to ask, but clearly uh, having a marketing calendar um, is, is critical here. To be to be in line with this, talk to me about um, well, talk to me about why why we need to be thinking about a marketing calendar. One of the most important <laughs> things for growing your business is, or one of the things that could could most help your business to grow steadily and even exponentially is having a marketing calendar. A lot of times people are flying by the, to, to, to use it just, I mean, this sounds very pedestrian, but a lot of people are flying by the seat of their pants when it comes to marketing their business. And I think they're, it's reactionary. They just, yeah, it is, like, it eh, is. there's, you know, it, it's usually just, well, uh, this typical marketing event is coming up. There's a holiday coming up. We need, I need to, we need to market for that. And then they just jump from one to the next to the next. Absolutely. Or they're like, oh my God, tomorrow's Halloween. We should put up something for Halloween. And it's, it's when you, when you do that, um, you're really not taking full advantage of, of marketing holidays. And then you, you, you don't, there are plenty of marketing holidays. It's a way to engage with your customer because you're always relevant. You always have something to say and you always have something, um, to connect with your customer on and you don't miss selling opportunities. Because a lot of times whenever you, you do it from a reactionary perspective or, oh my God, we should get something out for Halloween or Christmas or Labor Day or whatever the, the, the holiday is, you, you don't reap the full benefits of it. Um, so the better thing is to do is to, to make a year long marketing calendar. A year that long. Oh my gosh. Year, no, it, I mean, <laughs> I know. here's what you put in your marketing calendar. And this, this will probably make it a little easier for, for people to, to, to digest. It takes time, but it's time well spent. So if you're making a marketing calendar, you should put down the major holidays, of course, Christmas, New Year's, Black Friday, Valentine's Day, whatever. Those, those are standards. But oh, those are standard. But you can also do the obscure holidays, depending on who your buyer persona is and what will resonate with them. So... International Bosses Day, National Underwear Day, um, National Picnic Day. It, it allows you to, to have a reason to communicate with your customer, whether that's on social media or whether that is through an uh, email newsletter. You also have, um, and speaking of like, for example, you're a lingerie company, National Underwear Day, Underwear Day is coming up. Hmm. That should not catch you by surprise, Right. And you, you missed an opportunity because you didn't put national underwear day on your, on your calendar. If you're, a, if you're here in New York, um, we have a lot of lingerie companies that are based here, smaller ones. Um, we have, a, a, a ride the subway in your underwear day here in New York. This happens every <laughs> February. We're crazy like that. And so that being said, it should be something where if that, if that, 
if your brand aligns with the type of people who would who are bold and would ride the subway in winter in their underwear, you need to have a campaign for that. Like, what are you wearing to to the and you're a New York based brand? What are you wearing to the to to go on the subway half naked? <laughs> right. You wouldn't say it that way. There'd be a better way to write copy. But that would basically be it so that you can have sales before that time comes and you look like you're in the know. Right. How many? So, how many total events are in a typical marketing calendar? There, it depends on the company, it depends on the brand, and it depends on your buyer persona. If you, the major holidays should be there. Some of the obscure holidays should be there. Industry specific events, like if you're a Bohemian company and Coachella's coming up, oh, you'll have okay. events like that. You 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 should be folding those in. I call those industry specific events. Uh, company specific events will be in there. If you're doing pop-ups and trunk shows and trade shows or whatever, that needs to be folded into the calendar as well. Um, shopping holidays, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, free shipping day. There's a free shipping day that you could take advantage of. Um, that should be folded in and then editorial magazine stuff. It right, that's the thing I wanted to, Oh wanted yeah. To sure. You mentioned earlier that I was like, why? Whoa. Um, talk. All so, right. Talk to me about planning around, around that. Around editorial calendars. Yeah. So when you understand who your buyer is and what publications they would likely read, let's say they read People Style Watch, just as a typical for a fashion or in-style magazine. Okay. Those companies typically have a, a, a media kit. If you go on their site, they'll have a media kit where you can download what, the, and it's usually for selling ads you know, they want you to buy ads in their magazine, right? But they'll tell you for a full year in advance what um, each issue is going to be about, what they're going to talk about in that issue. Hmm. So once you, you have that, you can build your, you can line up your, your marketing calendar um, to be in line with that. For example, spring makeup trends is is coming out in the March issue, right? The gift guide comes out in December for InStyle magazine. The travel guide, the travel um, for InStyle magazine is in the June issue. So once you know that in advance, you know what everyone's going to be buzzing about. And typically those, those um, calendars, they usually line up with each, each company or most companies. So InStyle's calendar will kind of overlap with people's style watch, let's just say, Right. Um, so once you have an understanding about what everyone's going to be buzzing about, because it's in the magazines and it's, it's probably going to be on refinery and all of these places, and that lines up with your buyer persona, then you'll have, you'll always have a relevant conversation with your customers. So if I'm trying to get, all right, so even I should have this, I should know the editorial calendar of what my buyer, my ideal buyer, my VIP customer is reading so that I could produce relevant content uh, and essentially be always be on trend and be part Absolutely. of that, that conversation. K- certainly I'm making my own luck. Um, by doing that, I'm making my own luck and that I may be able to get myself in front of and into uh, these publications. You can, you can make your own luck to either get into or um, in front of these publications, but also just that you can be part of the conversation. Sometimes you don't want to spend the money on getting into these publications. There's better ways of doing it, um, much much better ways that are less expensive. If you're, whether that's doing Facebook ads or whether that's doing um, influencer outreach, whatever the situation is, but you still want to be part of the conversation because those lines, they've done the work already. You know, spring makeup trends in the March issue that comes out in February, You, if you're a cosmetics company or you, you run a small cosmetics business and you're running on Shopify, you'd need to know that we got to put our colors together for spring um, so that when, when we're part of that conversation or we're even ahead of that conversation. So even that's going to affect what products do we feature on our homepage? What, um, you know, are, are we doing events? Are we, are it, are we aligning with what people are most like, most likely talking about reading about and most likely to buy? So you want to just have the stuff ready. Very cool. 
Um, and then the last thing, the, the other thing and the, the, the final thing that you put in your, your marketing calendar, um, yeah, that, that marketing calendar is postal and logistics cutoff dates so that people receive their items on time. It's something I call advanced holidays or day of holidays. Um, some obscure holidays, you're going to promote them on the day of, like you're saying it's international bosses day, celebrate and come to our site or whatever. Right. But for Christmas, that's an advanced holiday that requires advanced prepping that requires sending out emails to customers or, or communicating with customers and marketing to customers well in advance of that holiday and knowing the postal deadline so that people get this in time for that holiday. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, um, well, speaking of buyer personas and, and marketing calendars, do you have, do you, you have a special offer for us? I do. I do. Tell me about I, <laughs> so my, my special offer is I have created a buyer persona worksheet and it has, you know, of course the name, the age, income, all of the, all of the information that you need to fill out to have a clear understanding of who your buyer is. It's a one page worksheet. And I've also included a sample of a buyer that, you know, I've put together so that you understand how to use the buyer persona worksheet. And you're going to have, there's also a section to put a face of this person so that you know what this person looks like. You should be able to see them on the street and say, or while you're doing a trade show or a pop-up, you're like, there's my customer. You need to come into my store. You need to buy. <laughs> so that's, that's what I've put together. Um, and it's of Alexandra. So she is, you know, she is the, um, buyer persona that I've put together so that you understand what needs to go into it. Very cool. Do you do uh, off the top of your head what the link is? I mean, either way I'm putting it in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, it's you, you go to flashandcolor.com backslash bonus. Flashandcolor.com backslash bonus. Okay. I will, I'm going to grab that myself. It sounds very useful. And I've included yes. that in the show notes. Lastly, um, this has been hugely valuable for me. I'm sure it was valuable for, for listeners. Um, anything else you'd like to include? What, you know, a, a um, this is your, your platform, your chance to maybe um, correct a, a piece of misinformation you hear all the time that drives you nuts or, um, you know, give, leave Shopify store owners with a, a single thing you wish they would do. Um, anything at all. One, one closing tip. Oh, <laughs> pressure. Um, I think do your buyer persona. It's going to affect everything in your business. I agree. Ha Every having, having everything in your business, understanding your customer, deep understanding of your customer. Um, just like you said, Kurt, <laughs> instead of stock. <laughs> but, <laughs> customer but, safari. Customer safari. Um, you really have to do that. And, and once you do that, it, your business will grow exponentially. I agree. I mean, I think what happens, um, the trend we see is, People start as entrepreneurs, and as an entrepreneur, they're often their own best customer. They are the, yeah. the customer, and that's what they're building for. And I'm sure many boutiques certainly start that way, where it's like, what would I wear? All right, let's put that in here. Exactly. And then as you as your business matures, as you gain experience and, and mature, as a, you go from entrepreneur to business owner. And I think part of that is um, operating just as often as you can. Like, obviously, there's there's going to be times where we're running from fire to fire, but we want to start avoiding that and really operate with intention. And part of part of that is knowing very clearly, you know, all, is who the customer is and what their motivations are, so that you can provide in everything you do the maximum amount of value to them, because you know, all right, this is what will and won't be won't be relevant to them, and you can't do that unless you've got that clear picture. And so everything's a literal picture of of who your ideal customer is. So yeah, I, in no way would, should anyone uh, underestimate the importance of that. And I also want to just add to that is that I know I'm supposed to leave with one thing, but I'll add to that is that the beauty of being a small business owner is that once you understand this, you can take market share away from larger companies who may not be doing the work 
I walk into, I've worked with companies large and small. I'm a, I still have to go into large companies and they don't have buyer personas. The most successful ones do, but I, I do walk into companies where they don't have a buyer persona. And once you get that in place, you'll see them skyrocket, but you, you have the ability to, to really grow rapidly once you understand this. And, and that's, I, I think that's what I'm about. <laughs> I'm about, I, I really am about small. I'm a product of a small business. My, my dad owned a business and I, I love seeing smaller businesses take market share from behemoths. I really am about that. I, I, I'm so serious about it. And so that's why, why I try to help companies grow rapidly just because, um, and we, we have the ability to do it more. We don't have the bureaucracy, right? To, 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 this has to design by committee happening to change one small thing on the site or changing direction. You can, you can be nimble and, uh, and then really reap the benefits of that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, yeah, the smaller the organization, um, absolutely the, the less overhead, the faster they can move, the more resources they have to devote to things in the sense that they don't have to go through, you know, layers upon layers. Um, mm-hmm. certainly there, there are advantages there and you can be your own, your own spokesman and, and advocate and word of mouth. Um, so uh, not word of mouth, um, mouthpiece. So there's mm-hmm. great advantages to that. Um, but this has been, this has been illuminating. I have, I've learned a lot. I appreciate it. Lastly, where could people go to learn more about you? Um, you can come to flashandcolor.com and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm very much on LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> so like you can connect with me there or you can connect with me at flashandcolor.com. Very cool. And that's it for us today at the unofficial Shopify podcast. Jacqueline, thank you. And to our listeners, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So please join our Facebook group, search for the unofficial Shopify podcast insiders and come talk to us or sign up for my newsletter, kurtelster.com. Hit reply to any of my emails. I promise I read them all and I may even send you a funny gif in reply. Either way, you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. Of course, if you'd like to work with me on your next project, you can apply to cycle.com. And as always, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.